0: Agriculture is a mission-critical industry in Australia, and now, more than ever, the industry is going to need to lean more and more into technology and collaborative partnerships to meet the increasing challenges and demands that are placed upon it. So what opportunities are there for agriculture in Australia to not only leverage its own capabilities within the industry to create more innovative solutions to these challenges, but also maybe even learn from other industries and technologies and communities that exist. Well, with me today is Oli Madgett, Managing Director, Perennial Australia. And in this episode, we talk about the challenges and opportunities that are facing agriculture, and what role technology might play, and what role technology might play, and also how technology can help. What how technology can help agriculture move towards carbon neutrality the need for greater collaboration to make significant steps towards forwards in agriculture and a lot more too, collaborate because you know what collaboration starts with a conversation team ag tech let's make it happen Welcome to Talking Ag Tech, a podcast to learn more about technology in agriculture. Come explore this important sector with me, Peter Birch, as I speak to those that are in the thick of it to help break down the silos and drive more innovation into this important sector, one conversation at a time. With me today is Ollie Madgett. He became the Managing Director at Perennial Australia. He became a grape grower in McLaren Vale in 2015 and leads Perennial Australia, Working with the MLA and AgriFutures to scale soil carbon quantification and decarbonize agri-foods supply chains, Ollie also runs the Adelaide AgriTech Meetup, which brings together a community of more than 1,500 developers, farmers, and entrepreneurs interested in the agricultural technology space. Hey, Ollie, how are you going?
1: Very well. Thanks for having me, Pete.
0: Good to have you on the show, mate. Thanks for making your time. And having a chat, it's been good to chat with you before we hit record as well. And reflect on the joys of, of children and other random things that we do within our industry. So, but I'm keen to learn a bit more about you on the podcast now. So tell me a bit about yourself, buddy. What's your, what's your background? What's brought you here?
1: Well, originally from the UK, so I come from Norfolk in England, met an Aussie girl in London very drunkenly now about 15 <laughs> years ago and had... That's the only way that... that yeah, that's totally. <laughs> Aussies and Brits meet <laughs> drunkenly on Clapham Common and that's exactly what happened to us. Yeah, spilled a beer <laughs> over in the pub and then it's married...
0: married fairy tale, yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. So, and then we had kids and then actually Tara decided that she'd had enough of very cold, drab London and we needed to come home to South Australia and uh, you know when I was ready My, my background is in the digital entertainment world so kind of have worked in interactive television and and social media games and so but just really wanted to actually make a change and work in an industry that actually had more of a more of a reason behind it and actually probably that was something to do with having kids as well so we decided that actually coming back here agriculture is such a a central part of life in Australia, and certainly in South Australia, Tara's dad's a sheep shearer. Her sister's married into a farming family near near Langhorn Creek, so farming is all around us. So, you know, I decided that I wanted to make a a change in my career and work in technology in ag, but quickly realised that actually, if you've never really rolled up your sleeves and understand farming, it's really hard from the outside to actually really understand the challenges that farmers are facing. So. We sold up our little, we had a little two-up, two-down cottage in Tooting in South London, and we sold that up. And we were lucky enough to like literally flip a tiny, tiny little place for a little vineyard in McLaren Vale. And we became grape growers with no experience of the industry and just got involved and had a go. <laughs> Probably naivety was on our side. Now you know what you know. You might not have done what you, you, you did, but it's good yeah. that we were brave. And you know, really, actually firsthand started to see some of the things which make farming and agriculture amazing, and also some of the things that are really frustrating and hard, and where you actually feel you can do things to move things forward. So, yeah, kind of...
0: and how, how long have you been doing the, the grape growing thing
1: now? So, our first vintage was 2016. So, this is we're about to start our seventh vintage. So, oh, yeah, and again, nope. roller coaster like some heady days at the moment, the wine industry. We've got some yeah. challenges because because our our wine can't be exported to China, which is we became our easily our biggest market out there. So very very heavily dependent on one export market, and as soon as that has got that market access has got removed, it's like there are some quite significant waves hitting us in the wine industry at the moment. But again, that's as well as that being really challenging, it, it definitely will spark off changes and it will move the industry forwards. So. Yeah, we're kind of living that roller coaster at the moment. Yeah.
0: We'll unpack some of those challenges in a bit, I think. But I- I'm keen to dive a bit more into the other things that you do too, because you've got you've got that on a day-to-day, but then you've got the agri-tech meetup stuff. Fill that gap for me. How did that all come about?
1: So, yeah, the ag-tech meetups, I think that was really born out of working in the social games. So we used to make, uh, we had a little social game studio. You remember when Facebook had games like Farmville on it yeah. and you'd play on your desktop and then all those it would all come up in your feed yep. and so we had a soccer game called i am player that i produced that let you <laughs> live and play the life of a soccer player and great fun and one of the things we all published our games on facebook so that that helped us to massively scale our games and because we were achieving scale at, uh that sort of helped to bring money into the industry and facebook did an amazing thing uh first tech company i ever saw do it where before they even had any team in london they used to put on these facebook developer garages which would basically get us all together all the developer community together they would share what's happening on the facebook platform and where it was going and they put on free beer and pizza and that grew from like you know just a few hundred of us making stuff for facebook to thousands and like they built this amazing community that were building things on facebook so that was kind of a part of my old world and then you come to I came to Adelaide in South Australia, and there are these amazing people doing things in agriculture, some of it quite heavily in engineering, but increasingly even back in 2014, 15, in digital technology. And everybody was just kind of on their own in their own little bubbles, and there was no community. And so we just started the meetups to replicate what we'd seen in London in games, just to get people together. And... You do also see the world of like farmers don't often meet developers. You know, like those worlds don't often cross. So you have to actually like curate that happening. But there are tons of farmers really interested in technology and they're actually really good adopters of technology. And there's lots of people in the tech world that actually would love to do stuff in agriculture and do things that have more of a purpose and more of a meaning around them. And so yeah, it kind of has grown from probably 15, 20 of us at our first meetup. And now there's about, this, we've just broken the 1,500 people barrier in our community. So yeah, it's just been wow. great fun, just connecting people, doing fun stuff and some fun things have, have happened. We have sometimes some of our best meetups are either because sometimes we have them in Adelaide and, and they're in the CBD and that's great. But actually some of the best stuff we do is when we get on a bus and we get the, tech world onto farm and speaking to farmers first and and but we've had some fun stuff happen like i remember like a ram breeder in a place called strathalben and he presented the community with this challenge that he thought he had a misfiring ram so he had a ram that was firing blanks and he had no way of understanding this and he was like and basically rams have these things called cra- they have crayons so they have this kind of like strap across their chest i guess it is with a crayon and When they jump on top of a U, it marks the U and it's how the farmer knows that the RAM is working. And actually, he was like, so one of the developers in the community basically modified a mobile phone and kind of put a Bluetooth tag on every one of the U's and then modified a mobile phone. And it was a mobile phone rather than a crayon that was on the RAM. And every time the RAM reared up to kind of mount a U, it... The accelerator on accelerometer on the phone would get activated, (laughs) and it would just pair the phone with the Bluetooth beacon that was nearest to it. So he started to build up this digital picture of like it's called Tup and Go, the little demo. Um, (laughs) And but it's the fun. (laughs) That's so good. That is amazing. Oh, We love the idea, and it it, like it didn't reach commercial. Like they just played with it, and there was like there were some challenges. Like probably at some point in the future, that will become our thing. But they're just that they're the fun things that happen when. Like farmers are problem solvers and so are developers and they're great when yeah. you get them in the right headspace together.
0: You know what? Coming into the ag tech space, pretty cold myself, very much experienced with the health tech side, seeing, like hearing a lot of the conversations in these early points, it re- I resonate that w- with that a lot in terms of what you've said of, you know, in the health side, it sometimes feel like technology is being thrust upon clinicians and it's not helping, it's kind of, it can, can be a hindrance and it's kind of, a lot of the times it's trying to find ways to help technology creators solve problems as opposed to just push tech. And then I come to the, and there's a lot of healthcare providers who, if they had their way, would prefer to just use pen and paper and that was it. You know, in the, in the agriculture side, farmers have so many problems to solve, so many different things to measure. And... They're entrepreneurial by nature, and pretty technically savvy. All things considered, and and really keen to adopt. And but like you say, still the same problem must exist. Where if the developers, if the technologists don't know what to create, they could kind of just be spinning up solutions without actually having any kind of real problem to solve. So I think what you're doing is amazing, bringing together those two really important parts together for, you know, to solve actual problems.
1: It's amazing. I don't know if you saw it in health, but we definitely see a in. In agriculture, it's like the reg tech side. You know, it must be the same in health. There's just like this. And we know it as a great growers ourselves. There is like more, and like there is always more reporting that you're having to do. That is just like, that's like one-way traffic at the moment. So, and again, at the moment, there's a real push around sustainability and reporting around there. Your environment, but sustainability in its kind of roundest, in its, in its widest form. And that's really actually because you have to do that's increasingly becoming a thing you have to do if you want to continue farming. Certainly, if you want to kind of sell to certain like net like people in your in your value chain. So, we sell to a big co- corporate called Treasury Wine Estates who owns Penfolds and Wolf Blast. And again, they're really leading in actually pushing all their growers to actually be certified, like cert be certified sustainable. And it's this reg tech sort of tailwind which is actually pushing a lot of adoption, but actually it's like forcing us to sometimes use stuff that's like, at the moment, sometimes it's like not maybe taking away friction from our life. It, often it is actually making your life harder and more stressful. So we haven't really got to this lovely stage where technology makes mm. our lives easier in farming, yeah. but it's, it's a thing.
0: Well, and that's the thing too. And as the other way as well, if you don't want to have all of these little solutions being built in isolations, creating little pockets of data, because as soon as you want to start to aggregate that information, if they're not built in a consistent way that can be pulled all together, it's it can be a massive headache for for whoever's trying to centralize all of the data on their their farm or their property to be able to actually do anything meaningful with it. So whilst it can be exciting about all these cool little things that can happen, if it's if there's not a strategic kind of picture to it from the end user's point of view then it can it can all fall apart pretty
1: quick can, can if i could ask you know in health does that happen is there like a aggregator of information that helps to kind of bring stuff together because that's something we know it's not there in agriculture at the moment but it's like we, we it's like we'll probably find a solution in mining or health or some other industry we can probably learn from rather than reinventing the wheel
0: I I wish I had a, a clean answer for that one, but this ongoing search for interoperability is discussed regularly within healthcare, as in the ability for data to be presented in a standardized way, to then be pulled up into other systems and then compared, because we're it's more than, it's not a technology problem. The technology could be created to be able to do, you know, pull APIs and everything to be able to make one thing speak to another. But because you're dealing with humans' personal information and sensitive data, it needs to be transferred securely and, you know, all that kind of stuff, but also needs sta- a standard way for the data to move around. And it's a mess and it requires, you know, government involvement, and uh, but, but often that cannot go swimmingly either. But yeah, I think there's there's similar challenges and, and a long road ahead.
1: <laughs> we, cause I was just trying to, like we've looked at just something as simple, like we're grape growers and something as simple as like maps. So maps are really important for us as growers. So a lot of the work that we carry out has a spatial dimension to it. So like, I'll need to do stuff to block one Shiraz or I'll need to report, like I need to report stuff that's been done to our vines, like our spray records. And I need to, like task work to things and record data against bits of a vineyard and we've but just looking at something like there has been no approach to even like publishing any specifications around like mapping a vineyard and actually it was one of the actually the things that we've that's been most exciting about our meetup community is we you know when you just get to a point where you're really frustrated about something and you can feel it's broken and nobody in authority has really done anything so we did do some stuff from the ground up where we just put on a load of workshops completely openly and we got like everybody involved in the wine industry was in like super welcome to come in and we just worked out what were the most important features of vineyards to map and then we got some people who had done a lot of work leading the open now, the open mapping community of the world, like open yeah. street maps. And we got some of those folks in who are being used to mm-hmm. kind of mapping stuff and building mapping communities. We got them to help us in the wine industry. And then they helped us to dot, like turn what we wanted to map into technical specifications, which were like agnostic of any tech stack. So you weren't like immediately being pulled into like some Microsoft's camp or AWS's camp. It was like, it was neutrally documented as a as a data model. And, and then that's grown and grown and grown. And we've just tried to look at OpenStreetMaps has powered all this innovation in navigating around cities and technology in cities. And how could we work to create the open street map equivalent for farms to uh, help power things that relate to mapping and data that relates to maps? So it's again, yeah, we're 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 definitely firm believers like we're definitely followers in agriculture. And there's lots we could learn from pulling people in who've started to crack this in other industries and learn from them
0: yeah so some great opportunities there and i guess you know we've touched on a few of the 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 challenges already that are faced within the agricultural industry let's say but from your side where do you see you know any other big challenges and opportunities that the industry is facing and that technologists should really be kind of honing in on to to try and make a meaningful impact
1: the really big challenged sort of opportunity is definitely for me around at the moment it's around climate and sustainability and again just as a grape grower vineyards are like almost the canary in the coal mine for climate change because they're kind of permanently there they're they're planted in sort of they they just You plant them, you don't want the vineyards typically to thrive because that doesn't make amazing wine. So generally they've been planted in environments that kind of slightly stress them already when they were planted to produce great great wine. So it doesn't take significant changes in the climate to kind of really pull down production before it doesn't work. And we're already in the wine industry seeing genuine impacts of climate change in terms of like certain varieties in certain regions are just not viable anymore so they're the first things we're just having to go like okay we've just got to rip these things up and they're expensive to plant you really need them to be out there for 20 odd years and but they're like we are having to start and the wine industry is already moving vineyards down to places like Tasmania so a lot of the really big corporate producers are literally moving already kind of well ahead of, of the curve and we see things we've just experienced that challenge of having our market access for wine Cut off to China, and that was cut off for political reasons. But the next thing that's going to be hitting us are the like carbon border adjustment mechanisms. So our ability to be able to actually trade with our trade food and commodities with our trading partners, carbon's going to be a component of that. So, and if we aren't on top of understanding the emissions intensity of our grains, of our canola, of our kilograms of meat we send to places, like we'll get hit. The EU will. Potentially use that to—they won't call it a tariff, but it's kind of they'll use it to improve their trading terms against us, or potentially even lock out markets. So that's where you're seeing tons and tons of focus and capital and and talent moving into the space. Like looking at okay, how do we start to even understand the carbon intensity of agri-food systems? both from farmers and then like right and they processes and factories and it's a fantastically complex world but we've got to kind of unravel that and help to create numbers that people can have confidence in and trade off the back of and so that's a fascinating area that's actually also leading this whole reg anybody looking at agriculture there's some amazing technology and there's actually an app we use on our vineyard from new zealand it's called onside and that's just like when we have to be certified, sustainable as grape growers now, there's all this stuff I have to n- suddenly prove. Like I have to prove that I've inducted everybody who comes and works on the vineyard. I have to mm-hmm. like, people have to check in, check out. I've got to like do biosecurity tests. All this stuff we've never had to do. And it mm-hmm. suddenly just hit us last year. And there's this little app from New Zealand called Onside, which just helps me do that. And I have an app and people have to have the app if they want to come and work on the vineyard and they have to check in. They have to acknowledge all of our health and safety Regs and we, and we also behind the scenes, it's helped again from you know, we have these risks like these really potentially quite disastrous risks around biosecurity incursions. But just again, in our wine industry, we in South Australia, we don't have a, a disease called phylloxera and that that could cripple like our industry. But things like Onside are actually really useful because they are apps that help to tag people moving from one vineyard to the other. So actually, behind the scenes, they can be incredibly powerful biosecurity tools. So if we do have outbreaks, we'll actually mm. know, like where where are the vine- like who are the people that move most are most likely to move disease round, or if it's if it has been somewhere, who could have vectored it to somewhere else, or where should we go and test first? When you're presented, like we've had fruit fly in the in the Riverland region, probably cost the region h- hundreds of millions of pounds being spent to alleviate that, and yeah tech to work on biosecurity, tech to work on reg tech, anything to do with climate. Nate, their governments actually just last week made some announcements about moving into really helping to, to step up around helping farmers and landowners conserve nature and improve biodiversity. And again, like our roles as farmers are, there's like another component coming into what we need to be doing. So we're increasingly needing to think about our impact on nature, that's going to change farming systems like a lot of stuff's gonna you can feel it a lot of stuff's changing and it's going to be very yeah. painful for us but it's also going to spin out some quite interesting opportunities
0: it's funny isn't it? you talk about those are great examples because they're like macro issues that they're going to happen or they're happening now and that they're, they're on one hand it could feel like well it could feel overwhelming or if it, like it's a remote like pressure on a pressure on a pressure and at one point it'd just be like well you know this is how much more can you take and then for, for like what could what possibly could technology do I think that that app is a great example that you that you gave all of these these additional complexities that are drawing the time and attention away from you know the work that needs to be done. If there's a way to present the right data at the right time, or whether it's simplify the information that needs to be captured or the process behind it to allow you to get on and actually just get into <laughs> the 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 work that you came there to do in the first place. So that's at least some some good ways to think about it. You know, one thing we've not not touched on yet in this conversation, though, Ollie, we've we've talked about the grape growing side and the and the the meetups, but where does perennial all come into this?
1: Uh, as Well, so really kind of perennial spun out of actually doing the meetups and getting like as a part of doing the meetups, I've always been on the lookout for when really interesting people in ag tech happen to find themselves in South Australia. And then we often like nick them and ask them to stay the evening <laughs> to do a meetup with us. And yeah. we've had some amazing people kind of come through and like present to the community when they've happened to be here. My radar's definitely been kind of trying to be attuned to who's doing work that could potentially fundamentally move things forwards in areas like carbon in agriculture. And you can, like you said, it, it's not a fad, like carbon and decarbonizing all supply chains, like almost everything ha- well, everything will have to be decarbonized over the coming decades. So it's like, it's a big thing that's going to be here for a long time. And I came across perennial, like they're chief scientists, they're actually at a, they're based in Boulder, Colorado, but the chief scientist is a guy called Jim Kellner. So he works on a NASA mission called JEDI. It's basically uh, underneath the International Space Station. There's like a LIDAR that spins around and it uses, basically reflect, it, the LIDAR hits the world's forests and they measure that reflectance and it helps them to map the forests of the world. And Jim's work in JEDI has been about mapping the carbon in the world's Forests and how that's changed, and how that is changing, and they're using their talent and skills of the team to work on the challenge that we have in Australia of quantifying our soil carbon. So at NASA, they're dealing with trees, which you can see soil carbon. You just kind of like get to see just the very surface of the soil, and you can't see underneath. The only thing you can do is take a soil core, and then that gives you just like a a snapshot of a very small part of what's underneath. And, And Australia is set itself like a national innovation challenge of being able to quantify soil carbon with high degrees of confidence and at massively lower costs than it is today so if today it might cost let's say $20 a hectare to at the moment the traditional method is you have to take lots of physical cores and, and somebody will come up, and they'll kind of literally a pneumatic drill will go into your ground, and it will pull up these these cores that are about four centimeters wide, and they go off. To, they get sent off to a lab, and you have to take enough cores to have kind of got a representative sample of soil for your farmland. Very expensive, cost twenty dollars, and but the national challenge is like, how can we move this down to three dollars, and also do it equally with an l- equal level of confidence and at the, just the massive scale that Australian agriculture is at. And that's the challenge that perennials taking on. And it's this combination of kind of a fusion approach of like you use physical soil samples to help localize remote sensing machine learning model. So basically what, what we use is a combination of data that actually does come from samples. So we have some known, we have like ground truth data, but then there are other geospatial Data layers like topography and rainfall and soil type that have a relationship on how soil carbon is distributed across the landscape. And then another tool you have in your arsenal is is that satellites like Sentinel 2 are really good at picking up like data in that signal that comes back to space. There's there's data that can be useful to help you also um, from a remote sensing get another feed into the model. So either you get Um, reflectance from soil if you can see the soil so you get a reflectance from bare soil so you can just see the surface or if you can't see the surface but there's like pasture so it's a pasture paddock it's out there in Australia at the moment like it's all covered in grass it's all very lovely and green and you can actually use the reflectance from pasture as another indicator of what's going on underground and basically we build models up to model out how the soil carbon is distributed across a landscape and then we go through this process of um, yeah taking samples to localize those models and then we have to then do blind probably actually like some of the health trials we then take blind paddocks so we then go to farms that we don't have any samples from and we have to do basically a diagnosis so we do a diagnosis of that farm and then with no data from it but we kind of know what the farms around it were because we've, we've taken samples and we've localized against them and then we, we then take lots and lots of samples on that farm that data science team in the US haven't seen. And we we compare how accurate their quantification, how accurate their diagnosis was with no data compared to like loads of samples, which is the truth. And then what we do is we, we start to give perennial, we give the data science team just a very few samples. And once you have a few ground truth samples, that helps you to localize your model and how we actually make progress to help farmers to baseline their soil carbon cost effectively is to use only a few samples with less density spatially. And that's actually how we move the cost. Imagine the data from space is pretty much free. The sampling is the bit that costs lots of money. So you're just trying to reduce and reduce and reduce the amount of samples you have. And the more data you have across Australia and across all of the different geographies of, of Australia, the tighter the models get. And there's this point at which the truth moves from being like what you can measure like physically on the ground to what actually like it ends up being what you can sense from space is the truth
0: yeah because you've got all the data from all the 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 collections and you're aggregating it up to be able to get a, a picture across it yeah
1: yeah it's probably some like very similar to some stuff that's probably happened in health well i would say
0: i'm i'm drawing parallels with you know work in that that happens quite interestingly in Artificial intelligence for skin cancer diagnosis. So, from a clinician's point of view, the technology I've even worked with, you know, an image can be taken of a lesion and then that can be compared to other images of lesions that have been diagnosed either clinically, so with a doctor's eye, and they've said, I think this is a melanoma or a BCC or whatever it is. Or also those that have been diagnosed with pathology. So a little sample has been cut out and then sent off with pathology and then been confirmed in a lab to say, hey, this is, you know, diagnosed as X, Y, Z. So pulling all that data together, essentially it's like Shazam for moles where it's like saying, hey, this, take a picture of this lesion and this one looks like it's these ones and these ones were this. So I guess in this instance, it's, you know, you, you've got more and more samples to then understand the, the carbon of the soil and based on the data that's captured And I imagine it's different in different geographical locations, but with the more data, those models can be built up to be able to give more insights and confidence to those that need it most.
1: Absolutely. No, it's exactly, and again, the reason why doing this is important is that until farmers have, imagine like if you haven't ever measured, like no farmers really, virtually no farmers in Australia have ever quantified their soil carbon to the level of rigor that's required for it to be kind of put on a market. And somebody, and you know, even some have genuine confidence in that data and need to help farmers get their baselines done and lodged. It's like the line in the sand. Once you've got a line in the sand, whatever you then can prove out that you do going forwards. So mm. if I'm wanting as a grape grower to work towards being actually properly proving out that I've got to carbon neutrality by like, let's say 2030. If I haven't baselined myself back in like 2022, you've got nothing scientifically that you can go back to and say, I genuinely started here. I'm now, mm. this is going to be a journey. This doesn't happen overnight. It might take five, six, seven, ten 10 years to really make those changes.
0: you got to get that now. you got to get that baseline now. Yeah. yeah. And
1: it's just empowering farmers for the future. So yeah, these things are going to help to improve the value of our of our land are going to help us to get contracts to sell our produce. Some farmers mm-hmm. might want to, to sell them. Some farmers might want to kind of, with things like carbon, it's interesting. We, it's a very interesting industry, agriculture, where it's one of the very few industries where we are both sources of emissions, but we can also be sinks of carbon. So we have trees and soil that can hold carbon. And, and relatively, you know, can't make the country carbon neutral, but can make a very, very, very big dent in. And certainly as a producer, it can really make a significant impact towards you getting to carbon neutrality. So we have these sinks and we need to empower farmers to help them use those sinks for the benefit of agriculture and the environment. And yeah, and and basically if I lower my emissions, like the people I sell our grapes to Treasury wine estates, they've got KPIs on being carbon neutral by, you know, 20 30 or something like that but i'm a part of their emissions profile so the more i can do to you know my little way to reduce my bit it helps all the way along that supply chain and we haven't kind of figured all of this stuff out yet but we need to Mm -hmm. rapidly so yeah we're doing our bit in 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 soils
0: is not that fascinating like that's such a great explanation provided with some really good examples i'm also sitting here thinking ollie you know you've not long ago you were Building your game, your Facebook games in the UK and now you're talking about, you know, carbon neutrality of soil and, and doing some amazing things in the ag side in Australia. I, I'm gonna think that if, you know, with more and more problems to be solved in agriculture in Australia, there's gonna need to be more people with diverse skills and capability and potentially coming from outside of agriculture. What advice can you provide to those that are interested in getting involved or maybe are unsure about whether they're the right fit for solving some problems in, in the ag space. And how do you you start to get amongst it?
1: Oh, there's, you know, depending on where your starting point is, like actually, if you really want to roll your sleeves up and go and actually do some work on a farm, oh, that's actually the best thing is to really start. For me, that was my best way was kind of learning by by doing and actually getting out there. And, and I've met some of the most amazing people in ag tech. Um, there's this guy down in in Tasmania that moved over from India. He was a developer in India and he turned up in Tasmania and he also decided he wanted just to not be a developer and, and he wanted to help farmers. And he he just literally started working on farms and he has become invaluable. His like knowledge of coming from the tech world, like he's, he's like this geek in residence that they now have in Tassie that solves farmer's problems because he knows both parts of the world. So I would say like, if you can roll up your sleeves and just get involved in agriculture. But you know, we kind of have a, if you look up the Oz Agritech Association, like that's an industry group that we've started from the ground up of just like everybody doing things in the ag tech space in Australia. But that's like a kind of a port, you'll just literally see the, the map and there's probably 150, 200 companies doing things in tech in farming and just start reaching out to people yeah we absolutely need people from diverse backgrounds just you when you were just saying that like we need people who come from games like i loved learning from games designers there's so much like people who have got that kind of games design theory and how you make sometimes repetitive tasks fun it's like how do we make stuff like picking citrus Fun for citrus pickers because it's hard work. It's bloody hard work. So yeah, if you can layer in, if you can find the fun and things like that, like it's out sort of uh, some of our friends at Think Digital. Like they're 3D, they do work in augmented and virtual reality, and they we just saw some stuff from them yesterday where they've literally we've got foot and mouth disease now on the doorstep of us in Australia, and it's in Bali. and they've actually made a. I I had their, like, Google Glass – I had their Google lenses on yesterday, and they got me kind of walking around a flock of sheep virtually, and some of those sheep had foot and mouth disease. And no farmers in Australia have ever seen sheep probably with foot and mouth disease. You actually have to walk amongst this flock and go and find sheep yeah, with foot right. and mouth disease and go and, like – and again, you, you, like, you can learn that so much more viscerally from – experiencing it in like augmented reality same thing like we struggle at the moment labor crop that we have such a terrible labor crisis at the moment like we really struggle to find there's things like pruning vines which is a actually a semi-skilled job there's definitely i'm rubbish at it but there is opportunities to like help train people virtually of where to prune vines and how to prune vines so that we're actually not learning on the job on our real vines we're like learning virtually and and again that's been done in health and places like that really really well it's like moving that across here tons of opportunity
0: man that's about yeah look the 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 use of VR and AR mixed reality in healthcare, whether it's in education for the clinicians, for patients too, but also in um, like you mentioned, in the the identifying things that you haven't previously had the opportunity to identify, whether it's first responders in health or like you say, identifying a, a disease that's not yet here in Australia. And so you need the experience firsthand rather than just remembering what you might have read or, or seen in a in a book. Lastly, Ollie, you know, I feel like I could chat with you all day, but like thinking about then. What's on the radar? You got a few balls in the air and and, and lots, lots on the plate and other analogies, but what's going to be high priority for you over the next 6-12 24 what can we look forward to seeing from you?
1: Well, definitely a real continuing focus on climate and sustainability. We've actually if anybody happens to be in Adelaide on February the 21st, 22nd next year, we have an event called Evoke Ag. It's the biggest agritech conference in the in the APAC region. About 1500-2000 people will descend on South Australia for a couple of days. So I'm helping out with that a little bit. And that's really awesome. That'll be an amazing, that's a really inspirational event for anybody thinking about like the future of agriculture and food. So that's something, and I'm I'm actually about to head off to New Zealand where there's another one that came out of COP26 in Glasgow, it's called 2035.ag. And it's essentially a whole load of people around the Asia, you know, Australia, New Zealand and Pacific islands, again, getting together to work through, like, how do we solve with technology some of the challenges that climate is throwing at, you know, very arid regions like us, places that are super, uh, like those islands are going to be some of the first to have massive problems with Um, when they're trying to find with the water table rising and salt getting pushed up. And so, yeah, it's called 2035.ag, that's in October in, in Auckland. So, yeah, very much keeping my head focused on climate and, and, like actually trying to make a difference however that can be done wanting to make a dent in it
0: love what you're doing mate looking put the details and some of those links you mentioned in the show notes of this episode of the podcast for people to check out and learn a bit more about what you're doing but appreciate you coming on having a chat ollie and looking forward to connecting with you in adelaide in february i'll be there at the event as well so uh, looking forward to connecting
1: then thank you so much awesome see you mclaren vale take care
0: Thanks for listening to Talking Ag Tech. For more content and community about technology and agriculture, visit TalkingAgTech.com.